0: Father, as we continue in worship, we're thankful for Jesus, your son, who is all that we ever needed. Thank you for the race that you've set before us and the portion you've given, Lord, for your calling on our lives and the many gifts you bestow. Help us to receive them well as we give them back to you this morning in worship in singing and giving and in our service as well, Lord. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. Special welcome to all the youth that are with us today. Welcome to Family Sunday. Um, Today, if you're just joining us, whether online or in person, what we've been doing in our church is working through the book of Ecclesiastes. Kind of a big word, basically like the Greek word ekklesia, which means preacher or gathering. Essentially what we're doing right now. We're coming together To hear the word of the Lord, not the word of Jeremy Lobdell, but what the Lord says in his word in his book. And so, um, what we're going to do this morning is look at this and we're going to walk it through this analogy of a race or a running race, not necessarily a swim race or bike race or anything else like that, but the scriptural authors were most familiar with the sport of running. And so, I want to follow that image and I'm going to use Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 to sort of set it up and take that as the controlling image or idea that's going to move us through the content in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And part of the inspiration with this, I just want to give credit where credit is due right up front, is a pastor by the name of Pastor Jeff Bucknum at Northview Community Church who preached on Hebrews chapter 12 several years ago and is an Excellent sermon, probably one of the best sermons I've ever heard on it. You can look up Jeff Bucknam, Hebrews chapter twelve, Northview Community Church, and you should be able to find it. But um, what what the authors of the New Testament say as running your race, the author of Ecclesiastes is going to say, accepting your portion, receiving your gift, leave, living your life. However you want to say it, the idea is uh, that we are. Doing, being, accepting what God has called us to do based on his sovereign will and doing so with joy and enthusiasm. So Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 begins like this. It says, therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which Cling so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, let me just enhance this image just a tiny bit as we before we begin. And I'll give you three points today that you can follow along. But I think and I'm not sure if she's here today. Do we have a race organizer in our congregation this morning? Is there a race organizer here? Are you here Raise your hand if you're okay, I don't see her, but she's an active member of our church and frequently involved in some of the Midland area races. And essentially, what I want to point out in this first verse, if we could go back there real quick, Martin, just to twelve one, there's a word at the end that is underlined, and it says, The race that is set before us. And the key word there is set. In other words, If you're going to have a race, if you're going to have a competition, you don't just gather a few hundred people at a starting line and say, go. Go where? Do what? How? When? Where? We don't know. What's going to happen is ahead of time, there's going to be a race organizer, and they're going to determine the course, and they're going to set the markers, and they're going to have the volunteers, and they're going to have the aid stations, and they're going to have everything planned out. So that when after you've signed up and you showed up, all you do is you just follow the course that is marked out or laid before you. That's the idea of this word here in Hebrews chapter 12. It's like there is this pre-planned route that has been set before you and it is your job to follow through and pursue that course. To run the race that is intentionally set before you. So the three points today then, essentially, are going to be based on this one big idea. And the big idea for today, how to live at peace, how to live successfully, how to enjoy life, is to embrace your race. Embrace your race. That's a big idea for today, kiddos, if you're writing that down in your little pamphlet. That's the one word, or three words you want to hold on to. If you remember nothing else, get this, embrace your race, embrace your race, and there'll be three points after that. And the first of which is to trust the race organizer or trust your organizer. What would happen if I, sh- I know I'm not a runner of any sort, but what would happen if I showed up at the race and I'm at the starting line and they're like, on your mark, get set, and I'm like, hold on, wait, stop everything. Wait a minute. I have some questions about this course. I'm not so sure if it's the best one. In fact, I think it'd be better if up ahead, instead of turning to the left, we turn to the right, and I start to create all these confusion and these doubts and this anxiety, because perhaps unless they haven't run the race before, then no one really knows exactly what the race is going to be like. And I begin to stir things up and make people a little bit uncomfortable, including myself. That's not going to be a successful race. Instead, a better approach is to say, you know what? I may not know this route perfectly, but I know the people who planned it. And they are professional. And they're good at what they do. And so they're not going to run me over the edge of a cliff or into a pothole or anything like that. They've probably checked the route. They've got clear markers. They've got aid stations. I don't even have to think about all that. My only job is to take one step at a time and move forward as best as I can. That's what it means to trust the race organizers. And in life, as in the race, so too in life. Like We were not here at the very beginning of time. And we are not there yet at the end of time. But there is someone who is bigger than us. There is someone who is stronger than us. The one who sees the beginning from the end and has marked or set out this thing ahead of us. This one we call God. Kids, here's a couple big terms for you today. This God that we refer to, he is omniscient and omnipotent. Omniscient and omnipotent. Is there anyone under the age of 20 who knows what omniscient it means? Shout it out. It is all what? All-knowing. Exactly right. What about omnipotent? What is that one? Shout it out. All-powerful. Exactly right. This idea that God is God and we are not because he is so much bigger means that he knows everything and he can do anything. None of us in this room are like that. And it's really ironic that we who don't know everything and can't do everything sit here and question the one who does. Yet he has seen the end from the beginning and he knows how to get there. We don't. We haven't run this race before. When we are born into time and space, we are at our start line. And if we get to our start line and we're like, yeah, I'm not so sure about this. I think there's a better way. That's insulting the organizer of the race. But he knows when we were to begin and when we are to end. He is omniscient and omnipotent. Now, I think many of us would admit that about God. If you're even a deist, not even a Christian, you're just someone who believes there's a God, you probably believe... God is big, and God's up there somewhere. He's big, he's in control. But one of the things about the biblical, singular God that we worship is not only is he big, not only is he in control, but he is good. He is so good, he is indescribably good. In our doctrinal statement, we say is infinitely good, like there's no end To be able to describe his goodness. He is perfect in every way. He is beautiful, warm, and just. And when he describes himself, the very first self-declosure that he makes is not a pride contest. It's not arrogance. It is not talking about how big and powerful and awesome he is. Although he easily could have done that. Instead, when God declares who he is and what he is like, the very first thing he says is, The Lord, the Lord your God, merciful. Merciful. And gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is the kind of God that I want. That's the one I'm after. That's the one I desire. That's the one that we need. One who is loyal and faithful and steadfast and loving and merciful and kind and trust, trustworthy and true. This is the kind of God we can depend on. See, if he was just big and powerful and omnipotent and omniscient, it wouldn't be much help to us. But what drives him is not just his power, just not his knowledge, but his love. His absolute perfection and goodness and kindness means that we can trust him. If he were just big and powerful, he could be mean and arbitrary, but he's not. He is gentle and compassionate. And as a result, when we are set at the start line of our race or of our lives, we can believe what is before us is set there by a good God, by a loving God by a compassionate God, by a gracious God. And so no matter what we have to run through or who we have to run with, we know that God loves us and what he has set before us is for our good. I think one of the hardest, hardest things about trusting God is not believing that he's big, but believing that he's good. That's why over and over again in our church, we say that God is what? God is in control and Jesus wins. Exactly right. Because you gotta start there. If you doubt any of those things, you won't keep going. You'll quit. You'll take a shortcut. You'll drop out. But instead we have to believe what the psalmist says in Psalm eighty six fifteen. He says, But you, O Lord, are God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And if we believe that, man, then what happens is this. We can believe what Jesus says in Matthew 7, that if we then, if I, who am evil, know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more will God, our heavenly Father, give good things to those who ask him? We can trust that what he puts before us is good because he is good. He can't do it any different. That's the only way he rolls. God is good. God is good. God is in control. And Jesus wins. He's good. Number one, trust the raced organizer. He's big. He's strong. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. But especially, he is good. Number two, accept the route. Accept the route. Now, this is really where the parallel between Ecclesiastes and this Hebrews passage comes. I'm calling it a route today. If I went with the author of Ecclesiastes terminology, I would call it your portion or your gift. Earlier in the sermon series, we talked about when you receive a piece of pie or something like that at dinner. If you're sitting there and you're looking at your you know, person next to you and you're thinking, hey, they got more crumb topping or they got more blueberries. And that's not fair. It's really hard to enjoy the piece that's in front of you. But if you accept your portion, if you accept that allotment, what? this um author is going to call your lot in life then you begin to receive that gift and as you work your way through it you enjoy it with contentment and satisfaction and as a result you give glory to the giver and don't sit there and complain against him so accept your route or receive your portion accept your lot in life now look here's the crazy thing about it. Like with a piece of pie, I suppose we can try, right? Like you can get a perfect cutter and the pie may not be perfect. It won't be perfect, but you can try to get everybody's slice like as close as possible. But the reality is in life, nothing is equal. Nothing is fair. I mean, Listen to your children as kids. You've probably said this to mom and dad. Hey, that's not fair. And your mom and dad has probably said back to you, guess what, kiddo? Life is not fair. It's just not. There is nothing. If you mean fair is equal, there is nothing equal about it. All of us were born on a different day, at a different time, with a different mom and dad, with a different DNA, with a different set of abilities, with a different appearance. Nothing is the same. It is all different. But somehow in God, in his infinite wisdom, this is the race or the route that he has marked out for you. That he has assigned you the specific portion, the experiences of your life. We don't get to choose when we're born, what family we're born into, what we look like or anything else. That's just what God does. And here we are. And yet so many of us want to question that. Look at our Society in our fascination with youth, how hard we try to appear to be something we 're not, push it even further and think about young children and how they process their age. Remember, none of us chose when we were born, and yet our age is the natural result of that, and yet when we 're little, what do we want to do? We want to be. Big. Exactly right. We want to make our own decisions. We want to be bigger so we can do what we want. And then we get a little bit bigger and we start to think, man, you know, I'm a youth and I'm in high school, but I can't wait to be in college. And then you get in college, and you're like, man, I'm in college, but I can't wait to get a job. And you get a job, you're like, yeah, I got a job, but I can't wait to get married. You get married, and you're like, man, I'm married, but I can't wait to have kids. And you get kids, and you're like, man, I got kids, but I sure can't wait till they graduate. (laughs) All right? And then they graduate, and they go off to college, and what do you do? Like, oh, man, I miss my kids being at home. And you're like, my kids are all off of college and they left me. I sure hope they get a job and they get married so they can have kids. And then I am a grandparent. And I can't wait to be a grandparent because then I can retire and I can be a parent again. And then I'm a grandparent. And man, is this tiring. I sure wish I was young again. (laughs) What do you know? And around and around we go. And none of us seem to accept the very spot that we're actually in. Yet God has given us this portion and He set it before us. And I don't think that's a very successful way to win a race. If you're running the race and you're looking over your shoulder and like, man, I wish I was there. Or if you're like, Man, two miles from now, that's a long way. I'm never gonna get there. This really stinks. You're not gonna be that successful. We have to, we have to accept our route to receive our portion and run our race. If we don't, it's going to be really frustrating. And that's what this chapter is getting at. Here's a picture for everyone, but I'd like the kiddos to go ahead and call it out. Who is this guy? Eeyore, Eeyore, exactly right. Good job. This is Eeyore. And many people who read this book, the book of Ecclesiastes, they think, man, this guy is such an Eeyore. Man, is he a downer. Because everything we read, here's another. Ch- okay, so this was for the kiddos. Now I've got one for the engineers, too. You ready? Here you go. Merry Christmas. It's my gift to you. Here's the word vanity. And it just occurs over and over and over again in this book. Because everything he encounters, he's like, man, I received this one portion. I received wealth. And I thought that would be it. And I found out, man, that's vanity. And so I I went after pleasure. And I thought that would be it. And I thought that would be the most fulfilling thing in my life. And I found out, man, that's vanity too. It's grasping after the wind. It's a vapor. It's a fog. I reach and try to grab it. And it's gone. I was having... One of those moments the other night, it was Pastor Appreciation dinner with some of the elders. They put on this amazing meal, and there's this beautifully sliced steak right in front of us. And I had to just sit there and say, Wow, this is an Ecclesiastes moment. I've got to enjoy this thing that's in front of me right now. Because if I don't, what's going to happen? It's going to be gone tomorrow. It's going to be cold in 10 minutes every single slice of this steak, man, I have to savor it. Because tomorrow, it's another box of mac and cheese. And there we are, ramen noodles. But tonight, boy, that is something. And here's the idea in Ecclesiastes. saying There is something that is set before you in this very moment. Don't wish it away. Don't wish you were younger. Don't wish you were older. Don't wish you were this or that. Accept where you're at and what you've been given and eat it up. Devour it because that is what God set in front of you. And if you reject it and push it aside, you're insulting the giver. He has cooked up this special dish and you must receive it. Now, there are so many ways in life we can apply this, but one of the obvious ones you heard Brother Dan hint at earlier is money. That's a big one because in our society, money sort of determines just about everything we do. And so a lot of us want more of it this author had all he could handle, all the money you could imagine. And Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, look, he who loves money will never be satisfied. It's not enough. Nor he who loves wealth. This also is, there's that word again, vanity. It's just not enough. As long as you're always wanting more, it's not enough. Instead, you have to accept what's in front of you, what's been given to you. Well, Pastor I mean, come on. Can I play the lottery? Well, you can, I suppose. But don't you think if God wanted you to be a bazillionaire, he could have had you born into that family? Like that happens, right? People are born into wealth and they have so much money they don't know what to do with And they live under that pressure or obligation their entire life. But that wasn't you and that wasn't me. And yet we desire that. And we go after it. and We spend money on it. and A chance in a one of a however many million to get it. And God says, here's what's certain. Not the one in a million lottery. But the certainty in which God in his omnipotence and omniscience placed you. He placed you where you're at on purpose for sure and for certain. And he wants you to live out that life and that calling and not chase after something else. And it's going to be different for each and every one of us. It's not going to be glorious. It's not going to be grand. It's not going to be beautiful. There's day-to-day tasks like changing diapers and doing laundry and cooking meals and raking leaves. And more leaves fall down again the next day. And you say, vanity. But that's not it. The idea is that God has set this before you. And therefore, we are to receive it with joy and do it for him to run our race. Number one, trust the organizer. Number two, accept the route. Number three, run the race and run it. I mean, once you're at that starting line, <laughs> you don't stop there, right? You're like, wow, what a great race they've set out. That is so cool. I love all the markers, the aid stations. Hey, you know, wow, look at this. I'm at the race. Oh. No. Now it's time to get down to business. God has set something in front of you, something for you to do. And you got to focus on each and every step and be thankful for it and go and go. That means regardless of where you're at, this sermon applies to every single person in the room. If you are in kindergarten, run your race. That means you're a student and you got to learn to tie your shoes and wipe your nose and wash your hands and say your ABCs. And if you're in grade school, that means run your race. Don't wish to be a high schooler or somebody else. Just be happy where you're at. So many times you want to make your own decisions and do your thing. And then you become an adult and you find out, man, I wish I wouldn't have made half those decisions. Someone else would have told me what to do. The irony of it all. Be where you're at. Run your race. If you're a college student, if you're a single, if you are a parent, if you are a middle aged person going through a crisis and wishing you were any of those places but there, run your race. Run your race. We don't choose whether we're weak or strong, whether we're smart, big, tall, or anything else. But the Lord places it before us and says, run. Run your race. Wherever you're at right now, that's your race. Each and every morning, get up and run. But I don't know, Pastor, I'm at the end of my race. I'm not sure how much time I have left. Doesn't matter. Run your race. You remember the scriptures that say, for with God, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. You know what that means? If you run one day well, you get a thousand day credit. That's great. And if you get run a thousand days well, you don't have any more room to brag than the person who ran one. It's all the same to him. It doesn't matter if you've only got 24 hours left or if you have 24 years left. Whatever is before you, that is your route that's been marked out. Accept it, receive it and run it well. Now listen, one important thing, especially for us as Americans, especially for us as social media people and media people and all this other thing, is when you're running your race, man, you need to have blinders on. You've probably seen horse races before where they put the blinders on the horse so they're not looking to the left or the right. Man, would we be better off if we lived our lives that way. And if we're looking at somebody else and saying, well, they're smarter or more people like them or, wow, if I was given that talent or, oh, man, they have so much money, they don't know what to do with it. So many other situations. But we have to honestly say that is not our spot. I'm not in spot two or spot four. I'm in spot three and therefore it means this. There's this race that's set in front of me and I need to run that one and not worry about what everybody else around me is doing. And honestly, that's one of the issues with Facebook and other platforms like that is because we compare ourselves constantly. I might even call it the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not compare <laughs> Comparison items is a deadly evil. It's either going to make you prideful or insecure. You're going to look at somebody else and say, "Ooh, I'm better than them," or you're going to look at them and say, "Oh, they're better than me." Either spot is not where you want to be. You want to be focused on what God has called you to do and run your race, not their race. It's not for you to worry about that. That's His job. You run your race. Again, Hebrews chapter 12 says it like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which easily, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the specific singular race that is set before us. Believe in a sovereign God who is big and powerful, knows what he's doing. Who has chosen your portion, your cup, your allotment, your race. And set it before you. Eat it up, run, devour it, go. And then trust him for the outcome. He's got this. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 18 and following say it like this. Here's the main idea. Here's, here's the big picture I think of the book of Ecclesiastes. Kiddos, if you came just for today, it's a good day. Because here's the whole idea from the whole book of Ecclesiastes. It says this in verse 18. Behold, what I have seen after all this experimentation, after all this pursuit of other things, after all these other vanities, what is good and fitting is to be able to eat and drink And find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot, his rates, his portion, his cup. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? But instead, sweet is the sleep of the laborer, the one who ran well, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. This is a grievous evil, a terrible thing under the sun to have this huge portion and not be able to enjoy it. For riches were kept by their owner to his hurt and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, Job also agrees. He shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? He becomes an Eeyore. He's miserable. All his days... He eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger, because he can't accept his race. But behold, what is good and fitting? Better contentment with little than desire with much. To eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also now there's the other side of the coin too to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. Accept that, accept his lot, and rejoice in his toil. This also is the gift of God. For for everyone, he will not remember the days of his life, but because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. How do we live in peace? How do we find joy and satisfaction and fulfillment? Is always chasing after more or wanting something else or looking at some other race? No. The answer is to embrace your race. Embrace your race. This is the one that God gave you to run. Run it well. Trust the organizer. Accept the route. And run. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the race that you've called us to. Thank you for your goodness and grace, Lord, and setting that path out before us. Lord, I confess my sin, admit my wrong of desiring other things, of either being insecure at times, most often, or sometimes prideful, and desiring something different. And I pray, God, that whatever is before us, today, tomorrow, the next, whatever, that we would accept it and receive it with meekness and run well the race you set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.